there were a lot of surprises when you started your business. Uh, but when you went in full time and you said, we're, this is it, this is what we're doing, what surprised you the most? I think what surprised me is like, it's always harder than you think. Okay. You always need more money than you think. You always need bigger team than you think. You always need more knowledge than you think you have about how to solve that problem. The journey is extremely more painful than pleasurable. So the only way you can sustain it is if you are so passionate about the problem that you are wanting to solve that you just wake up with it, you sleep with it, and that is when you should quit what you are doing and start working on it. All right, Swapnil, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. One hundred percent. The founder of Zenny. Yes. Right? Yep. Okay. Everybody knows Zenny because we had the VP of sales of Zenny, Megan on, but now we got the founder. Our fearless <laughs> leader was there. <laughs> she is a fearless leader. We were talking and uh yeah, she is great. So shout out to Megan. But this is but this is for you. So tell me, um, I know a little bit you've this isn't your first company. Mm-hmm. You this have. is my third. Third company. Yeah. Well, tell me about the first two. So the first one was uh, like Spotify for Indian music. So we okay. built a product that could stream Indian music. Okay. And uh, we grew it to almost 10 million unique listeners listening to that startup. It was called Dhingana from almost 100 countries around the world. And it became one of the biggest Indian music streaming services. It was acquired by RDO, which was started by the founders of Skype in oh, 2014. Wow. And uh, then they entered India as a result of that acquisition. But wow. yeah, it was a pretty crazy experience. Holy cow. Okay, how do you start a streaming service like that? We just started it because we, both me and my identical twin brother Snail, we are Bollywood buffs. And okay. when we moved to US from India, we started missing the Bollywood music. And this was early 2024, uh, sorry, 20. 2004, 2005, man, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's been, been a while. This yeah, is okay. crazy. And uh, I remember like we used to love Bollywood music so much that uh, in those days you had to have those CDs, etc. to listen to music. And we wanted to basically enjoy music on demand. So we literally hosted a server in our bedroom and we built this product that could stream music and we started listening to it from our uh, office. <laughs> So you and just built it for yourself? Just for ourselves. You're like, and we're not, a, that's yeah. pretty and, cool. And that is how we have, uh, that's the approach that we have taken for every startup. We uh, saw a problem that we could relate to, we have faced and we have lived with for several years and then built a product to just solve our own problem for ourselves. And hopefully if it's good, then it can scale and others can start using it. And that is what happened with Dingana. It was like, we hosted it in our bedroom and before we knew it, thousand people were listening to it and we had no idea how they discovered it. And oh, it started yeah. growing. At one point, we had a million listeners. And that is when we were like, we have to do something about it. Both of us were working at Yahoo that time. And we were like, we have to go all in. We have to jump in. And we left our jobs. We raised, uh, it was pretty straightforward us, for us to raise VC funding that time because we had a million users. But to get yeah. to that, we had to literally moonlight, do two jobs for several years and pretty much sacrifice every evening, every day of our personal life to do that. But that, that, and well, that you, is how it started. You were just building the infrastructure behind the... Yeah, we were to, building the entire to be able to, yeah, to, be able to hold yeah. a million people. Yeah, and more. thankfully we... I think one of the key reasons why we went to Yahoo is because we knew that working at Yahoo, we will know how to build these consumer platforms that can scale. And 
even the the worst web page at yahoo used to get traffic in millions so that is where we learned <laughs> That's true. Yeah. how to build platforms that can scale to more than 100 million consumers and i i i was focused on building the platforms and snail was focused on the front end he was the product manager for yahoo news yahoo mail uh, yahoo search a lot of yahoo properties and i was working in the web performance optimization team where we actually did research and publish rules of how do you build build web pages that can render in less than 1 second so speed was everything and i think it was an amazing experience to equip ourselves with so that we can build better startups wow that's crazy okay yeah. so you so you go from yahoo to your own and then what was the second one so you you sell your streaming service yeah we was sold it? it we were uh, there with the with the audio team for almost year and a half after that uh i actually ended up being the vp for product across all international markets so launched audio in 30 35 countries around the world had an amazing relationship with their president ceo cpo we bonded really well all of them ended up angel investing in my second startup bezzy which was like uh, we went from bollywood music to <laughs> travel okay and that is the idea there was to build an e app over travel assistant that can sit in your pocket accessible to you 24 by 7 who makes you feel like a celebrity because you just take out your phone tell them that hey i want to travel to new york can you plan my flight can you plan my hotel can you figure out what i where i'm going to have uh, dinner lunch and what i should see and it will do everything for you book everything and just get it done you don't have to worry about it that was the whole vision then we knew if you wanted to scale this it has to be built using ai so that is when we actually built our first ai powered human assisted platform to do travel holy shit then this was 2015 oh you're freaking me out that's crazy okay so well oh, 2015 oh, I, so you were early in ai yeah, i mean we, that was fairly early right 2015 we, we freak ourselves out all the time <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Okay. But that was early in AI when when AI probably wasn't no, it was as robust yeah. as it was now, huh? There was ChatGPT, all these things didn't exist. You really had to spend time, energy and uh knowledge to actually build something that can be called as AI and even then like I remember at that point when we launched it was it became an year of assistance like every startup was building some kind of assistant and at some point uh we counted we felt like we had 70 competitors in the space wow. in the next year and a half probably only five left and then we were probably the only ones only ai powered chatbot who was able to get acquired at an amazing outcome in in almost two years time and everyone else died yeah because they they didn't focus on building an ai first company they didn't focus on building something that can be scaled with technology they started throwing people at the problem they raised millions of dollars more than we ever did i, I remember our closest competitor raised 20 million when we had raised 2 million from some of the oh. best vcs but none of that mattered i think it, it what matters is what are the roots of your company why did you start it and how you're going to solve that problem wow i really like what you said there uh they were throwing people at the problem you guys were building a better product yeah yeah i i interviewed a really famous author his name's jack car who said that very similar so every time i talk with founders or like business owners there's one i mean there's a lot of similarities but there's always one uh when i talk to really successful people and that's like the product is yeah amazing right like it's perfect they make that better and better because i learned from another really good marketer that uh behind every great marketing uh campaign and sales team is an even better product yep 
because it's really <laughs> every product is an amazing team yes. so i think it all starts with the team and ends with the team at the end of yeah because uh yeah and how did you go about like what was your process for selecting teammates i think we have been pretty fortunate because all the key people in our first startup ended up joining the second startup anyone <laughs> who joined the second startup for the first time are with us in our third startup so i think we if you look at the space today the space in which zeni is we are probably the only company where we have a team that has built ai powered human assisted platforms before and have scaled it to millions of users mm-hmm. and have successfully sold that startup so i feel lucky and fortunate to have a team who has done it before that's why our approach at zeni is very different than anyone else who is who is doing what we are doing mm-hmm. and zeni so explain zeni you said ai it's another ai powered yeah it's another play so uh, after mezi was acquired by american express in 2018 we spent year and a half at mx and again we were thinking about what problems we have faced and one problem that we had a very deep meaningful painful relationship with <laughs> was the fact that managing books accounting bookkeeping for your startup and we had done it for 10 years by that time was extremely painful every time we used to work with an accountant bookkeeper they will wake up at the end of the month start working on your books throw excel sheets at you all excel sheets are on email they are going back and forth there are no real time insights that you get you have to ask them a question to get an answer every time they answer it's in a cryptic language that most <laughs> founders don't understand uh, every answer has look at the pnl kind of a, every question has look at the pnl kind of an answer so and and overall we saw that it was so fragmented you need an accountant to work on your books you need a tax person to work on your taxes you need someone else to work on your cfo needs so you need too many humans and all those humans use use too many tools so you end up in a complete mess and they make it all manual so the more you scale the more manual it becomes the more manual it becomes the more hours they spend the more hours they spend the more you pay for it and at the end of it i don't even know where i stand as a company in terms of my finances because accounting will start after the month ends then they will take 3 weeks and then i will come to know how the last month was yeah yeah so that was extremely painful and we thought that the only way we can solve this problem is if today morning i wake up and i want to know where i stand i can go look at a dashboard and see where i stand and the only way to solve that was if accountants and bookkeepers touch my books daily so zeni came up with this very unique notion that we are going to work on your books daily and then we are going to offer you a dashboard through which you can look at real time insights into your finances so you don't really need to wait till the month is closed to figure out where you stand you can look at your burn rate you can look at your operating expenses you can figure out how much you are spending on certain vendors we even show you your pnls and balance sheets in real time as as transactions are happening so i think we have almost looked at a pretty foolish way to disrupt this problem but we could do it because we were not accountants <laughs> right we were product guys so we didn't care about the loopholes we didn't care about the portals we just went yeah with with our own problem and 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 a solution that we would love to use so that is yeah. how it started i love that and when i was in i mean when i took my accounting degree and i and we were in finance a big piece of it was how are accountants and finance and financiers and and these guys going to com- compete with ai and things like that and now it's like okay you're more of a consultant now as an accountant versus like actually a pusher because now you got zenny i mean if you're you know you can go anywhere and and get a you know a rudimentary version of zenny uh if you if you had to but i like what you said because you were like it's not we weren't accountants we just solved the problem like we would want it to be solved yeah. and there's so much power in that yeah there's so think, much power in in 
not knowing everything is actually very powerful. Yes. Right? Yes. Because yeah, you can be foolish enough to do things or take a path that no one else will take because they know what are the problems you will face. <laughs> and if you just yeah. take the beaten path, you will know what problems you will face, but you will basically just be on a path where everyone is. And, yeah. and that's not where innovation happens. I think innovation happens on the other side of fear. Yeah, that's very true. I really like... Um, because I mean, that's how I've been successful in a few of the sales companies that I've been in is like bringing knowledge from other industries. Yeah. It's like, cause you get some old dogs who just, this is the way it's always been. And yeah. accountants are especially bad for, at that. Yeah. Like, no, we can't do that. It'll never work or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, but I think it will though. And everybody's, and when you can unlock that for everybody, like accounting for everybody, yeah, you're done. And, and that's why I think I'm so proud of all the accountants and, uh, uh, CPAs and CFOs who work at Zenny because they are the ones who have the forward-looking futuristic mindset that what we have been doing for years or the way the finance industry has been operating for decades needs to change, needs to be disrupted. And when you believe in that, you can actually work closely with the product team to create an experience that is 10x faster than anyone has seen today. Mm -hmm. So I think that is what we offer. Like Zenny will literally turbocharge the way your finance department is run in a way that has not been done before. And for a lot of people, that is an aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an, it's an aha moment. And it's like a, it's like a let's go moment, yeah. you know, cause you do spend a lot of time on fire. I mean, I mean, I'm a small business owner. We're, we're in the startup phase and I'm looking at, and I mean, and I know what I'm doing and it takes yeah. me too much time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what I'm doing and I'm like, oh, come on. This sucks. Right. Uh, and, and so if you don't know what you're doing, I mean, my favorite joke to clap back at people, you know, when people say like what you should learn in school and one of them is like what they should teach you in high school. And there's like all these things, but taxes is one of them. Yeah. Like, man, I sat through a tax class and I couldn't imagine how bad I would have tried to skip that class if I was in high school. Oh it's yeah. So taxes is painful and it's painful whether it's your personal taxes or business taxes, <laughs> yeah. it's equally painful. Yeah. And by the time you're done with it, the next year is already here. Yeah. So you have the same tax CP asking you the same questions for the next year. Yeah, and you're like, like, why can't you? Yeah. yeah, why can't you just use the answers that I gave you last year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but uh, and I'm telling you, there will be soon a, a button in Zen. You click it, and the taxes will be done for you. It's insane. Like so much time and energy is wasted in this stuff. It's, because you can kind of. Well, yeah, I mean, I think as AI yeah, advances, yeah, we yeah. can look at the nuances of what a business is doing and how they are doing it, and what are the things that we should be looking at so that we can understand their finances better and use that knowledge to file their taxes. And that is yeah. another problem. Like you will typically have one person who is doing your accounting, another person or another company doing your taxes. And there itself, we have fragmented yeah. your finances, right? Well, yeah. And there's two different books. Too. Yeah. I mean, when you get up into like, I mean, Amex, yeah. they probably have a few different sets of accounting books. Oh yeah. They probably got their internal one. Well, Amex had 50 people just doing re employee reimbursements. Yes. Yeah. It gets uglier the bigger you become. <laughs> Dude, well, no, I, I, I see how, I mean, I'm an accountant and the tax code changes every year, but it's sometimes there are material changes in the tax code that we really got to like dig into and look, you know, ERC yep. might be one of them that you really got to understand. But for the most part, the tax code is the tax code. Like sometimes I chat GPT, like, hey, tell me, remind me yep. where I find this in the tax code. Yep. Chat GPT pulls it up and I'm like, per yep. perfect. Because most of them are like, the same. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the, if I'm not wrong, one of the early use cases of chat GBT was to actually figure out taxes. Like that Probably, was one yeah, of makes the, sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, because you plug it into the tax code. I mean, it's long, but if you have an AI that yeah. 
you got um, machine learning in there. I don't see why you couldn't just be like, hey, you know, once you get it to a point where you're just like, it's like new code, yeah. go to the IRC, plug it in yeah. and how that affects, right? And it can start doing its thing, how that affects other pieces of the code. And because that's where it gets messy is like, yep. if I try to take it here, then I've got a balance here. And sometimes that, that yep. can get pretty messy, but that'd be really cool if you could just do your, or at least if you could just have like a predictive tax, yeah. like here, here's what we predict, like based on certain things, like go, you know, ask a CPA, but this is what it looks yep. like right now. Yeah. And I think the, the trick in uh, what Zenny is doing is not about just using AI to figure out or do something, right? Yeah. It's also the whole synergy and the combination of humans and AI that work together to make sure your books are perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you use AI to file your taxes, it will do it till 70, 80% and then the human will step in. And yeah. when he steps in and does stuff, the AI should learn from it. And I think that ball game where the humans and machines are collaborating with each other in a way that the human is empowered to do 5x more than you would have without that AI yeah. is the is the secret sauce. And that is what we have done successfully at Mezzi and we are replicating it at, at Zenny. And I think that is what will allow uh, any business to scale. And yeah. for us to scale Zenny and for us to scale our customers' finances as they scale their own companies. Yeah. Yeah, it does get really messy the more th stuff yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm dealing with one Google Sheet, and we only and I have like four people yeah. working for me. So it's gonna get messy. Yeah, that's why I feel like any any startup who is trying to build a wrapper on top of ChatGPT and saying that oh they are an AI startup now will work at an early stage. You will, it will be a novelty. People will get excited, but I think the painful problems will start evolving when you start growing and you will feel that you can't do yeah. something unless you build real technology and that's why people who are technologists have a better success ratio when you build hardcore AI startups. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's true because, I mean, I even look at ChatGPT, like if I'm trying to solve a problem and this is where like I use AI uh, as like prompts or as like a, a base, like you said, like yeah. it gets me 80% of the way and then the 20% the is where I can shine, right? Um, because yeah, I've seen some like on top, like built on top of ChatGPT and I'm like, yeah, this yep. isn't it. You know what I mean? Like this isn't, but if you can have some real like baked in, what's that pro? I mean, do you go to school to learn AI now or what? Like, how do you figure so I, that out? I, I think now if you go to school, you can probably learn AI. And if not, then probably you're in the wrong school. Uh, but I think when we started, it's it's very <laughs> important <wrong> to <laughs> yeah. to have your foundation very strong when it comes to technology, right? We So both me and my, Brother, we did a bachelor's in computer science. Then we did our master's in computer science. This was all hardcore technical stuff. Uh, we learned computer networks. We learned distributed systems. And then we worked at companies like Semantic Norton and Antivirus and Yahoo, where we could use that technology to really build knowledge and know-how on how to build platforms that can scale to hundreds of millions of customers. So I think a lot of real-world experience, a lot of academics that you have learned, that mindset and that ability to apply these things to problem, identifying the problem and then applying it to scale. I think all those things are very important. It's like there are so many pieces in this puzzle yeah. that even if one is missing, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I think the piece that is missing a lot with a lot of founders is something that, I mean, one of the reasons that I was successful in this new venture, and one of the reasons that I feel like, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like you, you were saying in this was you had that real world experience at like bigger companies. So like my sales experience, I was at Honda, I was at a few other big company, big tech companies where they had real sales teams and we were like 
sales floor, traditional selling. Yeah. And then you were at, I mean, Norton would be crazy to be a tech person at. I mean, yeah, it's secure. Like, it was pretty crazy. That it would was be insane. So yeah. But I think uh, it's important that early on in your career, you need to make calculated moves, right? We, yeah. we were in Los Angeles. We were at USC. We did our master's in CS over there. And LA was such an amazing, impressive town to live in. And everything there is impressive. People dress in an impressive way. They, they party in an impressive way. It's Hollywood. It's right there. But we knew that we wanted to move to the Bay Area because we wanted to start a company. Yeah. And we worked at Yahoo because it was part of a calculated move. Yahoo was a big, hot internet company that time. And we knew that if we work there, we will get to uh, experience all experience yeah. and work with some of the smartest minds in the business. Like the person who was sitting next to me was Douglas Crawford, who invented JavaScript. He was oh. the founder of JavaScript. I had another person who had, who was one of the founders of PHP language. So you get to be surrounded by these amazing brains and then you can amplify your skills. You can amplify what you can create. And yeah. that's that's how you create magic at the end of the day. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yes, I read a study one time. And this is why for a lot, I mean, I started this podcast when I wasn't a business owner. I mean, I always like try like you, like, but I was looking at, I, I felt like, we're similar, but I read that study that was like founders who come out of like a career like that usually are like 10 times, like a hundred times more successful than the college dropout or the, you know, the high school dropout or whatever. And you have those people and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what's really interesting about this perspective is like there is value in proximity to high value companies, right? Like, yeah. and those kind of people yeah. that you get to rub it shoulders can, with. It, it can definitely add fuel to your fire. Yeah, and uh, I think dropping out also it, it depends why you're dropping out <laughs> if you're just dropping out because you want to drop out you are screwed but if you're dropping out because you really have this amazing idea yeah. that you will be wasting time in school you would rather work on this idea than you become a Mark Zuckerberg right yeah. so it's it re, everything the reason at the end of the day matters yeah yeah I really, that's really f interesting because uh, I just I've seen that pattern in a lot of high performing and and multiple found ex founders right like they they were i haven't really met a founder that was a founder on day 1 they were at this company and then they grew to this company and they grew to this company and then they were like we got it like let's go yeah like i've got like that was kind of my experience we did an outsource sdr company and that was my experience it was like all right i learned how a really high powered sdr team runs like get to be yeah. around people like megan yeah. get to around be people like this and i was like all right what tools do they use? Yeah. How do they think? How do they train their team? All right, go on to the next company. How do they do that? Next, And now like, you know, we, we created this two weeks. We had $20,000 of MRR secured. Yeah. We had all Amazing. of our tools. We didn't have to do anything. It was like, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, how was that? That's so crazy. And I was like, well, it was like 10 years in, in high powered sales. We're just doing that for ourselves. Yeah. Like, but we would have never known that yeah. had we not done anything. Yeah, that's why I feel like, they, I mean, people say that there is no shortcut to success, but <laughs> there are shortcuts that you can take to to walk on that painful path to success, right? Yeah. Get Working at a big company and figuring out the tricks is a shortcut. Yeah. You can either do it yourself and go through that pain and then figure out how to do it or quickly go somewhere and learn it and then, then start your journey from there. <laughs> and that's why I, I would say second time founders are more powerful than the first time founders because the first time founder goes through all these pains. He's so much wounded yeah. that when he becomes a second time founder, he knows 
what to avoid so that you don't get those wounds yeah. and you can run faster and third time founder is even better because you can avoid even the <laughs> yeah you guys go yeah. so it's yeah. all the knowledge that you acquire that can help you run faster is is very critical well i and i just love that that story so tell me um you got and you mentioned a little earlier that you'd always kind of wanted to be you and your brother wanted to start a business had it did that come about because of where you were did that start when you were a child how did that come about i think a lot of that was uh, related to our upbringing because okay. uh, dad never worked for anyone he had his own business mom was extremely entrepreneurial as well uh, we saw she started many startups with her brother and several of them failed and they used to make fun of us fun of their failure and use that as encouragement to start their next next uh, initiative or project or startup whatever you call it in those days but i think that uh, i think keeps playing on you and that keeps morphing your personalities and your mindset at an early stage yeah. and uh, i remember when we wanted to quit yahoo mom called and said that why are you quitting it i know how painful it is to to start a business by yourself so you shouldn't do it because it's only going to give you pain you have such a high paying job and then we said that no we have to do it this is what we want to do so mom was like at least one of you stay at yahoo and other one start the company <laughs> so i remember her best friend called so she asked her best friend to call us and then see if she could convince us <laughs> and why do you both of you want to jump uh, down at the same time and yeah. it was like because that's the only way to do it properly yeah so i think you you need to have that again i have used this word a few times but foolish enough to to pursue your dreams is such an important quality because it <laughs> makes you foolishly fearless in in so many ways that you don't really care about all these practicalities and yeah. you jump in and then hopefully something happens and i think yeah. universe will align things in front of you to make it happen for you well another another thread you're hitting on there i've heard that so many times it's just like kind of like this blindness like you're almost grateful that you didn't know how hard it was yeah right yeah and that you didn't know what you were going to hit because for for somebody who didn't know that was coming you're like ah oh, it's just another wow whatever yeah like it's just a, i i knew it was going to be hard and this just must be part of it and yeah. versus somebody who's like nah dude that's going to be you know not listening to all the people who were who were kind of talking yeah no not wildly. knowing how hard it is 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 probably even more blissful because <laughs> if i look back on my entrepreneurial journey from my first startup it's hilariously painful <laughs> i i wouldn't do it again and but you keep doing it because you don't know what is coming in front of you and you're so focused on your passion you're so focused on your outcome that you keep moving keep moving keep moving and every little win adds a encouragement to your journey right mm -hmm. and every time you fail you look at those those wins and hopefully you move forward as a result of that you're getting getting better yeah. and better every time yeah so not knowing the future is is probably a good thing <laughs> okay <laughs> i love that so coming from a tech technology background what surprised you the most there were a lot of surprises when you started your business uh but when you went in full time and you said we're this is it this is what we're doing what surprised you the most what what do you look back on and you're like man that was number one that was crazy in in all three startups i think what surprised me is like it's always harder than you think okay you always need more money than you think you always need bigger team than you think you always need more knowledge than you think you have about how to solve that problem so uh at the end of it 
the journey is extremely more painful than pleasurable so the only way you can sustain it is if you are so passionate about the problem that you are wanting to solve that you just wake up with it you sleep with it and that is when you should quit what you are doing and start working on it because the journey is going to be so painful because if you just and and i and several times i have some friends or some uh, first time founders who say that oh we want to start a startup we are going to meet this weekend and brainstorm what we should work on and i was like that's such an amazing red flag <laughs> because first of all it it's clear that you have no painful relationship with the problem yeah so how will you even know what the solution is and if you are just going to sit under a tree and figure out what amazing idea you can work on yeah it's very clear to me that probably 3 months down the line you will be out of fuel because the first time you hit those problems and the first time you fall flat on your face you will think of another problem yeah just because your relationship is not deep enough with this problem Yeah. So you really have to be very careful about about what you are trying to solve, and you have to have a very very deep painful relationship with it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the the deep painful relationship for us was for me starting the that outsource was how many people get laid off in sales all the time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, we got to stop this. Yeah, and we got to stop. Uh, for me, it was I've got to stop watching all my friends get laid off, and it sounds a little counterintuitive. to then start an outsource company. Uh but if but if a company can use me and we and it works, right? Then they can hire SDRs and know yeah. that it works. Yeah, in fact you yeah. have your winning script right there. Yeah. <laughs> people should work with you so that they don't end up hiring and laying off people. Yeah, instead true. of laying off people and hiring people, you they should just work with you once <laughs> they have the secret formula then start hiring people, right? Yeah. I think a lot of uh problems that arise in the workforce is because you exactly don't know how you are going to solve this mm. and then you start building teams around that in know, the we, hope that that team will solve it but right, if you, you don't have the winning script, problem yeah if you don't have the winning script there is no way that they can you cannot blame them for not having it <laughs> so which which is essentially in my mind, now i know there's a lot of reasons to lay people off and i know that that you can't sometimes it's unavoidable but it yeah i don't know man it one of the things i like about zenny is That's a winning script for Zenny is like the when you just throw a bookkeeper or financier at at a sales problem they're like oh well one salesperson equals this amount of output yeah and you're like not in real time though yeah which is which is nice to have Zenny be like in real time you know ah yeah it's just crazy that's yeah that's always a painful thing for me yeah. but but if I can if I can stop one or two layoffs because a company can validate the need for an sdr yeah then i'll be i'll be yeah fine. <laughs> i think you can you can stop a few layoffs and there is another i think uh, angle to your play you can actually work with companies at an early stage who don't even who can't even afford to have an sdr a full time <laughs> sdr not even one or two right? right one having one will not work you should always have to always say that if you want to build a sales team don't hire one a hire two because you need two people to compete with each other and you should yeah. know what is good and what is not <laughs> if you have one you have no idea yeah. how can you benchmark yeah. so similarly with sdr you should have at least two and if you want two two that's like <laughs> that's a lot of that's like you're talking about more than 500000 dollars in in just payroll right so might as well work with you and and figure out how to get that get the message right work, and get you know? the, yeah cuz that's one thing that we do too is we help with that but but yes i'm so glad that you said that cuz a lot of people i talk to this is crazy This is you add this to your Zenny script because it blows my mind how many 
business owners, when I pitch that, like, cause I'm less than half because mm. I worked in big companies. I know how much an AE costs. Just payroll for one AE, if they're good, yeah. is 200K. Yeah. If they're hitting all their, if you're hitting everything, you're yeah. 200 grand. And that doesn't include all of the benefits that you're going to pay them, yeah. onboarding them, their MacBook, all the, anyway. But you'll be surprised how many people don't, like, I'll tell that. And they're like, no way, my buddy will do it for whatever. And I'm like, yeah. nope. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just crazy how much, they don't know how much things cost. Yeah. So I think... Uh, that's why hitting the hitting at an early stage can be pretty interesting yeah. for you. I, in fact, will probably refer you a couple of them. <laughs> Hopefully, they convert into customers. Let's <laughs> do <go>. it. <laughs> and we'll and we'll use any. I love so coming from my finance background. I think the hardest conversations that I have with startups is mo around money. Nobody mm -hmm. understands like how much things cost. Yeah. I like how you said you're going to need more money than you think. Yeah, always, always, always. People always say that oh, we have raised this next round and it's for eighteen months or it's for 24 months and it's out in 12 months. Yeah. Because you will always spend more than you need. First of all, when you raise money, you end up getting these like amazing skills of knowing how to spend it. So the more you raise, <laughs> the more you spend. It's not more progress that you're making and you will have this aggressive growth goals when do you where you, the only number you want to move up is revenues and nothing yeah. else. And then you start making pretty wrong decisions. As a result of that. That's true. I've been yeah. in companies like that too. Yeah. We're like, dang, when do you raise money? Oh, that's a great question. I think uh, you should fundamentally raise money because you want to build a team. And mm. because without a team, you cannot really build a product. And you should raise enough money so that you can build a team that can build a minimum viable product or a minimum lovable product that hopefully customers will pay for. And if that journey is going to take you 18 months, 12 months, then accordingly add some buffer on top of it, at least a buffer of four, four to six months and then raise that much. But raising more than you need is always a tricky ball game because you will spend more than you need. Uh, there is also a flip side. Whether you raise uh, 5 million or 2 million or 3 million, you will end up giving the same equity stake in the company to that investor. So that is one thing that plays on a founder's mind that anyways, I'm going to lose 20% of the equity. I would rather raise 3 million than 2 million. Right, which which oh yes, yeah. yes so yes. that is another thing that plays, and because of that, because you're raising a bit more, your valuation increases a bit more. So suddenly you feel that my company is now valued twenty million <laughs> instead of fifteen million. Yeah. I think the trick side to that is whether your company is valued fifteen, twenty, or forty. The more it is valued in an earlier stage, puts more weight on you to actually grow into that particular valuation, so that you are yes. actually worth forty million before your next round and you should ideally be worth 80 million so that the next round can be multiple times higher than your previous round yeah. and that is where 80% of the founders fail and screw themselves and that is what has happened in the last two years you see companies with no revenues raising at 100 million dollar valuations yes and now because they don't have any revenues their valuations are not really 100 they are probably 25 so they cannot raise another round at 100 so they have to raise at 25 which means you all employees are screwed, round, yeah. everyone is underwater the moral is is yeah. really bad and everyone is losing in that case. So I think it's good to be aggressive. I always feel that you should raise a bit above market, but then you should know that you and your team has the capability to grow into that valuation so that you are ready for the next multiple. Yeah, I've seen that too over the last two years. When And here's the problem with, uh, on the sales side, right? What I saw was they were raising money and they raised a bunch of money. They were like, oh, we'll take, take all the money you'll give me. And so they go out and hire the sales team. And now you have salespeople who grew into AE2s or whatever. And they've they've only got 
two years in tech sales, mm. which isn't a, a ton of experience. You'll probably get a good AE one or two yeah. gig, right? But now you have you have 500 of these guys yeah. who have one or two years as an AE make, and they were making stupid money that yeah. they probably shouldn't have been making because the company raised more money than they thought they should. And now you have 500 AEs who can't get jobs yeah. because there was... There shouldn't have been that many in the begin with, and they shouldn't have been paid that much to begin with. Yeah, like not not that no not that salespeople don't deserve to get paid, but do you see the problem when you have five hundred yeah, totally. AEs? Totally. <laughs> like it's because insane. the company couldn't. Yeah. Because the company couldn't, they just got or whatever happened. Yeah. Know, got greedy, weren't smart enough, didn't know, got bad info, yeah, whatever. It's it was. a vicious cycle because you have raised more, you have you have to now hit bigger revenue targets. Yeah. For that, you need a bigger team. And for that, you have to compete for resources. So you end up paying more to those same people that you would have paid less. And now they are coming in. They, because they are paid more, their targets are higher. Yeah. So they cannot meet their targets. So everything is like <laughs> a, a deck of cards. Everything is like just collapsing. Yeah, it's yeah, which is bananas. Start to build a sustainable company on top of that foundation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, yeah, we don't need to say any names, but I got a few that came. Because I, I would go into these companies and it's just baffles me. So that that's really good advice though, because I used to think that people didn't need to raise money as, as much as they did, but whether you're raising, you know, do, let me ask you this, do, do the same rules apply if you're, if you're raising 3 million, 50 million, if you're, or if you're going to an angel investor and asking your buddy for 10 grand or whatever? Yeah. I think angel investment is a, is, is a very different, I, I would say case because they are not investing. They're investing at such an early stage that you'd really can't even value your company. So you will typically yeah, end true. up raising that money on a safe note. And uh, so there you can easily, whether you're raising 10, 25, 50, 100, doesn't really yeah. matter that much. Yeah, okay. But even there, I would say like, if you want to raise 100, raise 300, <laughs> because uh, you will need that money, especially at an early stage, you will realize that probably I should hire two more engineers and your 300K will be gone even with one and a half engineers. <laughs> that's, but yes, people, people, well, and that's what I meant. Like it is different, but I feel like the same principles that would apply there, like raise more money than you think, yeah. get a good team. Yeah. Like you just said something in my mind and I'm like, I'm looking at Enrique going like, bro, we should hire one more SDR so that we can have like a floater or something like that. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. have one more person oh. to, to back us up. It's also uh important to understand how do you build the velocity in your team? Do you hire ahead of growth? Do you hire, hire behind growth? Mm. If you hire ahead of growth, you will need bench strength. You will burn more. And what if the growth doesn't come? Which is how a lot of companies also got screwed, by the way. Mm -hmm. So in this market, if you really want to build a company that is sustainable, hire behind growth, it's okay if people are overloaded instead of 100% overloaded, 120, 150%, but they will feel that you are building up a stronger company and their mm -hmm. jobs are safer and your future is safer as a team. So I think hiring behind growth in this market, at least this year, is is, is a wiser play. Okay, so kind of putting a, everybody knowing on the team that they're going to take a little bit more of a load, yeah, a workload, yeah, and then just understanding that as we grow, once we get out of this, whatever we're in right yeah. now. Feel the pain before yeah. before you add to the growth. Feel the pain in your in your human operations. If you are not feeling the pain and if you're growing the team, you're screwed. Nice. Yeah, Enrique is taking notes. This thing's full. Good for Enrique me. is taking notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got this recorded, Enrique. Come on, we're going to get it transcribed, buddy. Uh, no, that's, a, that's really good advice. Uh, something that, you know, 
what I love talking to people for. I love these podcasts. Um, yeah, I can imagine how much you might be learning and, and sharing through these conversations, right? It's like yeah, amazing. Yeah, and and I tell everybody that they so should this have is a another shortcut to <laughs> yeah. painful part to success. Actually, actually, it is. We get uh, uh, one day in like sixty minutes, and you're boom. Yeah, you can what? avoid at least five mistakes from each part. <laughs> That's right, and we do, and because you get then you get to explore it, right? Like I'm thinking. Like you just said, like you said, we'd need a team. So I'm like, maybe we should. And then you're like, no, nah, feel the pain for a little bit. Like, yeah. make sure you get it. Now I'm like, all right, well, then we'll just do it. Because it's going to suck either way. Yeah. So you might as well figure out it on your own. And then then you got a good playbook for when people come in and, yep. and get it done. But I think that's part of being an entrepreneur, starting a business is like understanding that it's going to suck a little bit. Yep. Uh, but, <laughs> and the West has, the West culture has done a really good job at, at uh, trying to get people to not suffer. Yeah. You know, when, when that's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and that's why I feel like humans should always be super kind to founders <laughs> and, and people who are trying to build their businesses because they are literally putting their uh, blood, sweat and tears into building what they're doing. And it's extremely hard to do. And they are doing this in spite of all the other problems that all other humans also face, like whether it's your family problems, some sickness, whatever it is, mm. we have to face that. Plus we have to do this. <laughs> so if you actually achieve success at the end of it, whatever it is, I yeah. think uh, that success still falls short of what you have let go. Yeah. So I feel one of the most important skills a founder can have is his ability to sacrifice. Mm. Yeah, which is something that you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of Eastern philosophies and that's something that the West, the, some Western philosophies have like really shot away from. Like, you should try to be happy all the time. You should try to do these things. And, and I'm like, no, but it's okay. Like this stuff is, I don't know. Being happy all the time is such a wrong way to live. I think even in yeah. the, the amazing movie that Disney made, In and Out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was happiness, but there was sadness. Right? There were all those yes. emotions. I think all those emotions together build a yeah. better human. Well, and Disney got to chill out with these movies, man, yeah. because they're, I'm about, I need to go to therapy. They were trying to do, you know what I'm saying? But I need to go to more therapy now because yeah. you're right. Yeah. Like all of them. And I thought in and out did a really good job of the, of the symbolism of they were, they were all in the same place. Yeah. Right. Like, which I thought was very telling. Yeah. And like a lot of people don't understand is like everything is here. And yeah. But and you have but, to taste sadness to actually figure out what makes you happy. Yeah. You will really value happiness after that. Similarly, once you <laughs> fail, you really understand how important success is and you will just go 500% behind that. So I think all those lessons are very important. Yeah. What do you think um, in your journey was the biggest lesson? What, what What's the lesson that if you uh, had to write a book on one topic, you only could pick one, what would you write a book on? The good, the bad, the ugly of entrepreneurship. <laughs> It cannot be one topic, I would yeah. say. I mean, the yeah. topic can be entrepreneurship, but uh, I, I think one of the most important lessons I have learned building three startups is that you should really focus on building your team top down and bottoms up at the same time. Wow. And in, in, in our first startup, we build the team bottoms up. That means that you as a founder need to wear several different hats, which means the, you're always running thin, thin on time. You don't have expertise to do anything super good in a deep way versus if you build the team top down and bottoms up. So hire your VP earlier 
and uh, hire your uh, must have people at the ground level earlier and then let the that particular vp build the team around them instead of you actually building the team and then hiring the leader so mm. the top down bottoms up approach can actually uh, bulletproof your execution and at the end of the day your idea doesn't matter everyone has amazing ideas how much you have raised doesn't matter whom you have raised never matters <laughs> it doesn't matter which brand name it is yeah yeah what really matters is how good you are at execution and yeah. execution comes with really nailing down how you operate with people how you amplify their skills and and how they create magic beyond the founders and i think that is the mm. the end game that's super interesting i have heard that from a couple of high level people like yourself as well who said uh, don't hire the sales people first like hire the vp first Oh yeah so I have I am actually me and Megan are are speaking at Sester which is one of the biggest yes. SaaS conferences yeah. and the the title of our talk is when and how to hire a vp of sales and yes and it's interesting like I have advised so many startups on this and most founders feel that if they want to increase their revenues they want to quickly hire the vp of sales mm-hmm. and the more revenue you need the more aes you need the first sales leader that you should hire is not the vp of sales it's you you need to be the vp of sales you need to close those deals i closed the first 100 deals for zeni over the first one and a half years and at the end of it i knew right. exactly what the customers wanted what their pain points were when they had an aha moment mm-hmm. what is a winning script what is resonating with them how long does it take to close each deal cycle and then i created that blueprint and then you don't hire a vp of sales after that you first hire a couple of e's transfer that winning script to them and make sure that it's it's working for them as well if not you tweak it because if you are converting customers from demos to to deal one at a certain conversion rate ideally the same should apply to them mm-hmm. if it does you know that your script is winning mm-hmm. and now when you have those two e's selling for you in parallel hire a vp of sales if you want to scale your sales org mm-hmm. the vp of sales comes in he focuses on he or she focuses on how to scale this particular sales team what are our revenue targets what kind of team do i need whom should i hire how many bdrs i need who will manage those bdrs how many aes i need and while she is doing all this we have two aes selling in parallel so your growth is not getting affected mm-hmm. so i think this whole formula and blueprint is something that most founders are not aware about especially yes, if they are technology yeah. founders yeah and they're not cuz i i don't advise companies but i talk with people and i'm like I talk with business owners like small business owners uh in the early early startup stage and they're like maybe like maybe I should hire a salesperson and I'm like okay well how many sales have you made personally yeah and, and how if, do you know yeah exactly hire. and if they're good or not yeah. right i go it's well like, and that's what i say. yeah that's what i tell them. i'm like i'm like listen if you if the answer is less than any number than 100 like if you haven't closed a good handful of deals and you haven't kicked this off you shouldn't hire anybody cuz like Because I'll tell people too, like, like, because what I think what was really unique about what you just said was like you wrote all the blueprints down and then you gave it to them. Yep. Like if you don't have a process to give somebody, if you don't have the the knowledge and the experience uh, from selling your product, yeah. it doesn't. You're not gonna like I can't do it for you. Swapnil can't do it yep. for you. Like you've got to sell it. Yep. And and you know that you can actually judge them. Like if they can't sell it and you can, then they are the problem. Yeah. Yes. And if you haven't sold it yourself, you <laughs> will feel you are the problem. Yeah. 
<laughs> your product actually, is the problem. Actually, and this is what I learned. So actually, when we're talking, when I'm with my outbound SDR company, I'll, I, I sell those deals. Uh, and I ask founders when we're, when we're in that conversation, I'm like, how many deals have you sold? And if, yeah, and if the answer is too low for me, like, I, and there's no number, I don't put a number on it, but if I, if I get the heebie-jeebies or, or something, like, I don't feel good about it, like, we don't do it because it, for that exact reason, I tell people that, like, look, if you can't, if you haven't sold it and I can't sell it, how do we, like, now we're in this fight, yeah, right? But if you've sold it and you've had a lot of success and you've got all these testimonials, then I should be able to come in and take what you've done and just take that off your plate. Yeah. And we should be able to cruise and run. Right. But if you haven't sold or if you haven't done these things and you don't have a script and, and you don't have any of that, then you don't need a salesperson. Yeah. You need a consultant or you need to just hit the ground. You know yeah, what I mean? You need someone who can advise you how to do it yourself. <laughs> That's right. You need a coach, man. You need a coach. Wow. This is a great conversation, Swab. Now, I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, I thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Before I let you go, because these are always, you know, where I think we're close to it. But um, before I let you go, though, where can everybody follow you? You're getting you're getting on LinkedIn. Oh yeah, I'm I on see, LinkedIn. Yeah, I see you posting. Good yep. stuff. Yep. Go follow. So let everybody know where we can follow you and then how they can get a hold of Zenny. Yeah, Zenny.ai. So just okay. go to Zenny.ai and schedule a demo and hopefully we can help you with your finances. Yeah, perfect. And then follow Swapnail. That, that'll be in there. Last question, because I'm a watch connoisseur. Where did well, you get your watch from? Oh, this, is a, get, this is a Rolex. Yeah, is it a, is uh, it a Datejust? It's a Yatmaster. Yes. Yeah, let's go. It's pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah. I uh, so I bought this because it reminds me of uh, the Mezzi success when Mezzi was acquired by Amex. Uh -huh. After that, I bought this so that it always reminds me of that amazing journey that we had. Yep. Which is and why you the, buy Rolex. Yeah, and the way it impacted everyone's lives. Yeah, that's great. Oh, and a good and a good watch too, by the way. All right. Thank you so much, Swarno. Thank you so much, Anton, yeah. and all the best for your startup. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs>